Welcome everybody to the Evolve Pod. This is episode five. We're going to mix it up a little bit this week. I've got my friend, my buddy, Name, who you may remember from episode three, back on. And we're going to mix it up and he's actually going to be the host for the for the following pod. And this is a Snowden six-way special and uh, Name's going to kind of get into the nitty gritty of the Snowden six-ways by kind of getting into my mind essentially so I'm going to pass you over to Name I'm really excited a little bit nervous but yeah Name thank you very much for coming on. Thanks mate thanks for having me I'm absolutely honoured to try and fill your uh, fill your boots um, yeah I haven't interviewed anyone since my days of being a journalist about 10 years ago so we'll see how this goes um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah mate it's um, it's a privilege to be here Um I'll start how you normally start um these interviews with just a bit of an intro as to who you are most people know that you you host this podcast but who are you what do you do <laughs> thanks so obviously I'm Ali Ali Hollis um I run the Evolve Wellbeing Group I also uh, run a triathlon coaching company with my wife triathloncoaching.com uh we've got two children uh two boys Brody and Rocco we've got another baby on the way a little girl literally anytime now so um, hopefully not for the next hour or so. Um, so yeah, life's pretty busy. It's pretty fun. It's um, you know lockdown has been interesting, but as it has been for everybody. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a kind of a physically active, um, physically active, active guy basically. Yeah, and uh, yeah, looking to looking to share my story about the Snowden Six Ways. It was an amazing, amazing uh, experience. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to getting into it. Nice, man. I, I mean, calling you physically active is quite the understatement. Uh, <laughs> when we run through some of the physical things you do. Um, but no, that was great, man. It feels like we're speed dating. It's like you're you're giving me your whole profile in a minute. It's nice. Um, <laughs> Try not to give too much straight away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, let's start at the uh, before we get into the, the Snowden stuff. Um, it'd be good just to understand a bit more about your background. So you kicked off life in Bath. Is that right? Actually, I was born born in London, so I uh, spent the first two years of my life in London. And then my family, with my father's job, moved down to the West Country, down to Bath. Um, and my parents are still in the same house that we moved down to. Went to school just outside Bath. Um, it's quite privileged. Went to um, boarding school from the age of seven all the way through to 18. Um, was never particularly academic at school. I used to... Um, should we say act up in most classes but put me on a sports pitch or put me outside that was where I used mm. to really thrive and there was a few of the teachers that kind of understood that and you know allowed me to flourish in that way um yeah school was an interesting time for me I got um got kicked out of school for a few weeks at one point for uh, doing drugs at quite a young age which was um looking back was you know wow that was that was a crazy time how old uh, you 14 wow, and uh, there was a kind of group of us that we kind of just got taken uh we, we kind of chose our path really the wrong way I remember a, a teacher telling us you know you guys are quite influential and you can use that to benefit or you can use that to detriment and I certainly sort of almost stuck two fingers up to him and used it to detriment um but that was that and yeah academic wise I never really enjoyed the academics at school but uh, my school life was all about my friends, which I'm still very close to a lot of my friends from school, and definitely the sport. Um, sports being one of those things from a really young age that 
I've just absolutely loved, you know, whether it, <laughs> I remember being about seven or eight years old and being at home and chucking down with rain in the winter with my England rugby kit on with a sort of torch as a floodlight and just kicking a ball around for sort of hours, just, you know, just playing sport when some other people are probably reading books. But that was, that was my sort of childhood really, just sort of outside messing around. What yeah. was it though for you that, why did you, why do you think you enjoyed it so much as a kid? I don't know. It's, I had a lot of energy as a child, a lot of energy. Um, one of my nicknames at school was the Duracell Bunny because I would just keep on like going and going <laughs> and going and sort of uh, just had limitless energy. So it was a way certainly for me to burn off some steam to, um, you know, my friendship group at school, uh, you know, we're all still reasonably sporty. You know, I meet up with a group of guys every uh, couple of times a year to go running. We go away for the weekend and go for a nice long run somewhere cool. Um, yeah, and it's that kind of a team sports that was instilled in us and the value of being in a team or a tribe, I found really beneficial. You kind of, I never got that in the classroom of being in a tribe, but definitely on the sports pitch or in training, you've got that sort of fundamental understanding of each other that if you make a mistake, there's someone behind you, there's someone who's got your back and vice versa, that if one of my buddies makes a mistake, I'm there to help him you know, correct it or to pick him up or, or, or you know, to, to be that support network. And that's one of the things I've taken away from my school is the power and the benefit of team sort of spirit and the tribe, which is definitely come from sport. And that is one of the things I really like about sport. And we'll come to it later on, but, you know, I'm heavily involved in triathlon at the moment. And I think I've always described triathlon as one of the most team orientated individual sports you can get into because the camaraderie is amazing within track I, I was just about to ask that man because it's interesting that you like I at school I kind of I liked team sports because it was a chance to play you know to do exercise and be outside but I think the passion for me was always solo sports so mm-hmm. you know kind of skateboarding BMXing and then running and surfing and stuff it's interesting that you had that passion for team sports growing up and then you've moved into what I would say are very solo sports, but you you look at it differently. Yeah, I do. And there's a, there's a few reasons why I've got into triathlon, um, which I'm sure we'll, we'll kind of get into in a bit bit more depth. But when I left school um, at 18 with my A levels, I was just mm. I was playing really high level competitive hockey at that point. Um, so I trialed for the national team. Didn't quite make the national national team, but I was playing divisional and county level. Wow. Playing for the cl- local clubs as well. And then I um, had a horrendous knee injury, um, basically smashed all my ligaments in my knee, some cartilage, uh, was off sports for all in about 18 months. Mm. And in terms of sort of the multi-directional sports, football, hockey, uh, rugby, Mm. anything like that, for for me now, that's completely, and ever since then, it's been completely off the table. Wow. So that's kind of a really short-winded part of a short winded story of why I then got into triathlon and, and running. Yeah. Yeah, it's a straight line sport so you, you're very rarely going to have any knee issues mm. you know maybe in trail running because the terrain's slightly different but that was quite a big um, reason for me to take up triathlon but that was also quite a big turning point in my life when I had that injury because you the age of 18 you you know you're super sporty you think your life is going in that one direction mm. and then suddenly in the space of two minutes, your life has completely changed. You know, um, I had a car for the first time that day, 
drove to the hockey match. Someone else had to drive it back. Um, and my whole gap year was planned around sports. I had to completely flip that on its head. Ended up going travelling, which was great fun. Really, you know, looking back, that was an awesome, awesome experience. But at the time, it was very much kind of like, well, okay, what's going on? What's going on here? How long did it take you to recover, though? You're not like on crutches. I was on crutches for three or four months. So I had oh, cut, cut a long story short. They misdiagnosed it and put my leg in a plaster cast from ankle to hip when with ligaments you're supposed to keep them moving. So it took okay. three or four or five weeks of just getting my knee to bend, having come out of the plaster cast before I could start any rehab or physio. Then I didn't have an operation that I probably should have. So that mm. came six months later when I redid the knee injury. Um, so, yeah, and then I tried to make a comeback in hockey probably two years later. But up here mentally, mm. it was, I was it, it, I'd lost it. I'd lost mm. confidence of, uh, you know, 50-50 tackles, you know, changing uh, changing sort of direction at speed I'd lost all confidence and I kind of knew deep down that probably that's that's that you know mm. I, I need to move on and find something find something different man it's like a real turning point in your life isn't it because you probably would have ended up playing team sports at that point definitely um, but you went so you went uh you, you went on your gap yard you did some just some <laughs> traveling and saw, yeah. and saw the world um yeah. where did you go for that just quickly so we went to um Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, Fiji and the Cook Islands, you know, nice. all in about three months. Lots of fun memories, lots of things that I would probably, if I had the opportunity to go and do that now, it'd be very, very different. <laughs> priorities have changed, obviously, now as to, to an 18-year-old, well, 20 years ago now. So, uh, yeah, it was a great experience. Really, really good. And, you know, if I hadn't had that knee injury, would I have gone travelling? Probably not. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, you you make every, make the best of every scenario or opportunity opportunity that arises. Yeah, you say that now at eighteen, it's like you know that optimism doesn't it doesn't quite um sit, feel the same way, does it? It's more no. like let's just go to another country because there's nothing else to do. And um, where did so where did you end up after travelling, or at least that first year of travelling? Did you go to uni? I did go to uni, yeah, and. A few minutes ago, I've just been talking about how I really didn't enjoy academics at school, and it's not <laughs> something I really uh, sort of thrived at. But because the nature of boarding school, particularly in you know the the, the 90s, was you go to board, you go to school, work through, get your GCSEs, get your A levels, either go straight into uni or take a gap year and go straight into uni. Um, before I left school, I was actually um, I got offered a scholarship to join the Royal Marines, you know, because I was always active, had loads of energy and all this kind of stuff. I had pen to paper as in, this is going to be really awesome. And there was some, I still don't know why, but something to this day, I looked at, just looked where I was going to sign my name. I just thought, nope, not going to do it. Don't know why, but I didn't do it. I put the pen down. I said, thank you very much. And um, it's not for me and walked away. So I ended up then going to uni and with my A-level results, it was kind of like, okay, I'm, these are my results, I could probably do this course and I'll go probably here. And that was that. That was literally the decision process because nice. I didn't know what else I could do. I didn't, all my friends were going to uni, all my buddies, everyone, everyone I knew, but that was the done thing. It was mm. never really made aware to me as far as I can remember that it, you didn't, I didn't, at that point, I didn't have to follow that, um, 
that journey, that route, uh, that there were other options. So I did. I went to uni and I hated it. <laughs> Genuinely hated it. It's just not for me. And because because deep down I probably knew I wasn't in the right place, you know, mm. I fell in with the wrong people again. Um, yeah, you know, I started drinking. Yeah, I know people go to university and, you know, they like to party and all that, but I started drinking a lot. Mm. Um, <clears throat> started to take, you know, taking drugs again um didn't really go to any lectures I think I went to about two or three lectures in six months and got myself into quite a bad place um with the wrong people and actually after two terms I actually just I sacked it off thinking I was going to go back the next year um mm. went back home to move, move back in with mum and dad and then as soon as I got home I was just realized it's like this <laughs> university man that is not for me and I, <laughs> and I swore at that point I said I'm I would go back to university if it was the right thing to do, if it if it made mm. sense sort of almost logistically for my plan. And I've never got to that point where I need to go back to university. I'm not never going to say never. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was that was that. That was almost the end of my sort of academics at that point. Yeah. Did you have a plan at that point though, or was it just no. you were at uni with nothing? Yeah. So that's that kind of feels like why it didn't work because you didn't see the value in it. I think if you ask me that question up until. Christmas last year, did I have a plan about anything? The answer is going to be no. <laughs> it just kind of, I just sort of bumbled or bimbled through life. I don't know. I sort of just mm. used to fall into things and think, oh, that looks quite fun. I'll give that a go for a while. And that's been my sort of plan really up until, yeah, up until sort of Christmas last year. Yeah. Mm. And then, so where did you go post uni? You were back at home. Post uni, back at home. Yeah, and then um, I got a call actually from a friend of mine who lived in Paris, saying um, something bad happened to to him, and he needed a friend from school, like a good friend to go out and help him out for a couple of weeks. Mm. So I, I was I was working in a shop. I was, said, "Great, yeah, I'll come out, come out for a couple of weeks, and come and you know, we'll, I'll cheer you up, you know." And my, I remember my mum saying it as I was leaving. She said, "You know, in the nicest possible way, she said, you know, you, you don't have to come back after two weeks.'" as in this is an opportunity potentially yeah. see what happens like you don't just have to limit it to two weeks and come home like we'll take you home but I, I remember her saying that in a way that was kind of like oh okay see what happens and I stayed for 18 months in Paris um started work that's where I really started working in the hospitality industry um age of 20 21 years old I had a flat above the bar I ended up sort of assistant managing um which at that age 21 living in the middle of Paris yeah. above a bar <laughs> it was really good fun it was really cool but at the same time again I was definitely sort of um shall we say medicating myself a bit mm. with alcohol and drugs a lot and Paris was one of those places where it was different it was vibrant it was fun in the hospitality industry there's people around you that they don't really know who you are but they're your kind of mates and you end up just going, you know, you know, every day is a party day and drinking this and taking that. And, you know, that was my life for, for well, almost two and a half years, really, because after Paris, I then moved to Dublin, where, the, you know, in the same industry, hospitality, the same thing happened again. You're young, you think, you know, this is what, mm. to me, that was what young people did. And again, I didn't really sort of know any different because I was so immersed in that environment. And at mm. this point, you know, I wasn't doing any sport, anything like that. I was still kind of seething or inside from that 
knee injury and sort of, mm. you know, self-medicating by just getting smashed all the time, basically. What, uh, I was going to say, what was your routine, but more so what drugs were you taking? Um, so it was cocaine, basically. Um, and a few other bits and pieces, but mainly cocaine and drink. And um, because I was living abroad and I was away from my family network and I was away from my, you know, my sort of what I would consider my true sort of friend network as well. Mm. You know, you know, there was times when I can remember being in France and Dublin and, you know, you shut the door to your apartment and you're on your own. And suddenly you're just lonely, really properly lonely. Mm. Um, and you kind of think, why, what, why am I feeling like this? I'm, I'm living in Paris, I'm running a bar and, you know, you think you've got all these friends, but are they actually friends? I don't know, that's a different conversation, but mm. um, yeah, and there, you know, there's definite, definite sort of loneliness there. Um, and it was nice a few years later to actually come home and move, I moved into a flat with an old schoolmate, which was really cool, you know, back with your proper mates and mm. I felt a little bit more grounded for a few years um which was cool and that was probably at the age of 23 something like that still working in the same industry still not doing much sports at all um you know one of my my best man winds you know he winds me up from time to time because he's got a photo of me which he calls fat alley (laughs) which uh, he sends me from time to time which is from my time in bath when when we can't he and i met and uh yeah i mean i was probably you know, drinking a lot, eating a lot, smoking, not doing any exercise, working through till three, four o'clock in the morning, going out mm. afterwards regularly. And convinced that that was a normal life and that was what I wanted for myself at the time. Um, are you still, are you still taking drugs in bar? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was, that was a, you know, a common theme again. Um, and yeah, I get, I, that didn't really end until, probably 2008 2007 2008 and there was lots of other things going on at this point and i would say 2007 2008 was probably one of the lowest points in my life because i was dealing with you know the pressures of a hospitality industry which after a few years really starts to weigh you down Mm. Um, i was also dealing with some other addictive behaviors um and for the first time i actually confronted them because nobody knew you know nobody knew what actually was going on in my head i didn't tell anybody it's just kind of like i built built up this persona of ali the cocktail bar manager you know always up for a beer always up for whatever else you know people would call me at midnight and i'd be like yeah okay i'll come out for a bit the kind of thing you know and it was this persona that I built up but that that's who I thought was that's what I thought was expected of me so that's what I became Mm. but again you know there's times I can remember you shut that door and there was a lot of other things going on which I'm probably not going to go into as as such Mm. in terms of addictive behaviors but you shut that door and those behaviors really start to kind of like break you down they grind you down and you have all these Mm. feelings and emotions of guilt and shame and um financial pressure and stress because obviously these all these habits that were costing me money that I wasn't necessarily mm. earning but I wasted a lot of cash on all these things and all I mean again I didn't tell anyone I never asked for any help um so yeah 2007 and 8 were brutal for me and that was actually the first time where I 
I'll say I confronted it. I didn't confront it. It all just became too much. And I basically just mm. had a sort of meltdown to my mum and dad. Mm. And um, yeah, that was pretty tough. And I had some, you know, I, I hurt a lot of people and broke some really important relationships that I've had to rebuild back up. Um, I've had to rebuild myself back up. And it wasn't a simple process of, you know, 2007-8 was horrendous, 9, 10, 11, 12 were great. Mm. It doesn't work like that, you know, and this is a kind of a theme, I guess, of why we're getting into this is because there's been things that are still, you know, to this day, I'm still kind of not dealing with addictive behaviours, but I think as when you've experienced an addiction of some sort, I don't think you ever get rid of the behaviour but the sort of the theme of the addiction, you can manage to make it a positive thing mm. rather than the negative things that, you know, build up all these feelings of shame and guilt and um, get you into trouble and get you into bad, bad places. You can start to actually manage once you understand who you are and what you are and can become peaceful with that. You can mm. start to then rebuild things. And I think the really interesting part for me of my life was probably from... 2009 onwards when I actually mm. quit I left the hospitality industry I had an opportunity to invest in a new bar and be an owner and you know on paper that's like man, that would be really cool like a bit probably a good money maker but I just I thought you know like I'm broken I've just had all this stuff happen that I've unloaded and I'm facing up to the last thing I need really is more opportunity to go back down the routes that I've been before mm. um so i let i just left and, and <laughs> like did i have a plan no i went into mm. a meeting with my managers one day and i was almost kind of like sort of verbally sick i just thought they go Are you okay and i'm like yeah i'm gonna leave <laughs> it's literally like that i'm gonna leave i can't do this anymore and that was that i went one more week and i left and um 27 years old moved back in with my parents that was mm. you know just nothing to do with them or anything like that it's just tricky for me moving back in mm. you know there's some stigma around living with your parents particularly at that age as a guy so that was tricky I was still not in a great place um but yeah I think I, I sort of made made a few decisions that I wanted to then reconnect with the outdoors and reconnect with sports so that's when I started to get fit again. That's when I started to go to the gym, started to run again, started kickboxing just for fun to, to keep fit. And um, yeah, and I, I kind of got into the sort of outdoor education industry, which was really good for me. It was mm. one of the best moves I've done, definitely. Mm. Which is, is, is where we met, obviously. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Music, which is probably the most important moment in your life. Um, <laughs> Definitely. Just, just before we move into that, because I, you know, I, I can see like a, a really good through line into endurance sports now, but I, there's something in like what you were saying, you, you kind of, where we've gone so far, every time you've kind of ended up with the wrong crowd and you, you defined it as self-medicating and, you know, you've you've ended up just in that lifestyle or creating an identity that made sense in that world what strikes me and and I you know I, I, I wasn't certainly you know wasn't at that level of kind of you know addiction and heaviness but you know I drank a lot and stuff and I was, I was at uni and traveling and everything and it it's interesting hearing you say it like that in one story because you can see how easy it is just to fall back into that situation like you're you're not just like 
you know, moving to a new street, you're moving to Paris and then you set up a new system of people and work and you fall into that again. Then you do it in Dublin and then you come back over to Bath and, and do it again. And it like I, you know, there's a stigma, isn't there, attached to that kind of addictive drink a lot, take a lot of drugs kind of world of, of one of sort of they're throwing life away. You know, it's kind of it's the lazy route sort of thing. Actually, it's it's like there's something in it. I think that's a bit about survival, at least socially. You know, to to um, I don't know. Does does that make sense to you? Yeah, definitely. There was um, I've been thinking a lot about the you know this podcast over the last mm. week or so, and one thing that I remembered while I was running the other day was um, so I I used to you know my family's very close, and Christmas has always been a really fun time of the year. We've always got together at Christmas um, and I remember one boxing day I had to go back into work because we were putting on a boxing day party and I was like man this is family time it's not mm. who you know who's going to be coming out on boxing day and it turn up to work there's loads of people there's like 100, 100 people out in this tiny little bar and um, I made the decision that night I was like you know what I'm just going to work I'm not going to drink I'm not going to get involved in, in anything and this girl who used to come drinking in there all the time she you know we were having the chat and she said, um, she said, oh, you're so boring when you're sober. Oh, God. <laughs> and, and, you know, you kind of like, huh, laugh it off. But that kind of just got etched in my brain of mm. almost like, shit, I'm, am I? Am I really that boring? Or am, mm. What's my go-to thing? So my go-to thing then, and this kind of became, again, the persona. So it was like, okay, right, where's the beers? Where's the vodka? Where's all, everything else? Right, let's get going. And that was that, you know. Mm. And it does it fuels this persona of uh and also at being i'll add to that you know i i was and i still am vulnerable mm. and at that point i was vulnerable in the sense of i really 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 cared what people thought about me mm. and if someone says something like oh you're so boring when you're sober take that to heart I'd be like oh, man. I, yeah. I don't want i don't want to be boring i want to be the fun person i want to be you know i want to want to have like, like hundreds of friends and i want to be mr mm. popular and all that kind of stuff and so, yeah, it's um, you kind of just, I don't know, the hospitality industry is weird, personally. Mate, it's it's uh, you know I've, I've done some chefing and it's it's a crazy lifestyle. I remember a little while ago I listened to um, an interview with Tom Kerridge, the chef, mm. and and he said that because he's you know he's well into his his fitness and his his kind of nutritional cooking now, but he said when he was at his worst, his absolute worst. You know the thing, and the thing he really misses now, looking back at that time, even though it was really bad for him, is that moment on a Saturday night where everyone in the hospitality industry—sorry, it'd be more like a Sunday night, wouldn't it? Everyone in the hospitality industry is out for the night because it's your night out, and you're in a pub and you've had, you know, ten pints and you feel like the king of the world because you you are king of that social yeah. circle. And he's like, "That's the only thing I miss." Yeah. <laughs> Being I can totally relate to that. I mean, hundred, you know, so lots of memories. And, you know, I've got some good memories of those times, but they're mm. they're definitely sort of um, overshadowed by a lot of pain and a lot of loneliness. Mm. Uh, and so you, you've met my best man, Andy Hunter, that I alluded to mm. earlier. And um, when in two thousand and nine, two thousand eight and nine, when I finally faced up to the real horrible thing that I was going through one of the first things that he said to me and he looked I can remember his face and he just looked at me and he said why didn't you tell me earlier mm. why didn't you just tell me 
Mm. And I wouldn't have judged you. I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have laughed. I wouldn't have told anybody, you know, that would have been our little thing. I could have helped. I could have mm. um, advised you. I could have got you help. I could have, you know, you just could have shared it. And he said it in such a nice way, obviously, because he's, you know, he's my best mm. friend. And that was, to me, that was, you know, and, and anybody listening who's going through any crap, just share it. Because as mm. soon as it's shared, no matter what it is, as soon as it's shared, whoever you shared it with can help. And, and it's not a burden to share with the right person. You know, your mm. best friends are your best friends because, you know, they are who they are. Um, mm. And that's that, you know, that, that will always stick with me that he just kind of like, he was just so disappointed that he hadn't been able to help because he didn't know because I didn't tell anyone. And I mm. think even now, uh, like even up until this very, this very day that we are here and now, mm. if I am going through stuff again, I, I, I do hide it reasonably well. And one of the things I'm working on definitely is, you know, being much more open and honest, both with myself and obviously Annie, my wife, and, mm. you know, those that are close to me, because it helps. It definitely helps. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm in the, such a, an amazing place now in my life than, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, etc. Um, you know, you still have good days and bad days, as everybody does. And the key thing for me is that when I have a bad day is that I try and verbalise it, try and find positives, be, you know, grateful for what I have got, rather than worrying and fretting and stressing about all the stuff that potentially is going to send me down an avenue that I don't want to go down. Mm, that's it, isn't it? It's definitely one, it's a thing of comparison and then getting rid of that comparison to, mm. to other lifestyles. So you, you at that point then you're you you're kind of going to reconnect with the outdoors it's interesting you made that decision in your head to be like the way forward for me now is to get out of hospitality and I need to get outside was that just years of being in a dingy bath yeah, <laughs> to be outdoors literally my my body was telling me more than my head to get out mm. of hospitality so again there used to be this joke because I used to have real cracked horrible dry fingers from mm. like all the cleaning products and the wet dry wet dry like horrendous fingers like horrible and I, I was kind of like oh and I tried all these different things to get rid of it and a lot of that was stress like burden of what I was carrying internally mm. not sleeping very well because of obvious reasons um and then two or three days after I quit my hands just went back to normal mm. and that was for me it was like okay that there's something in that that I, I never need to go and work in a pub ever again just because mm. my body is better without it and this I you know I was still drinking and still smoking at this point um and yeah decided that what am I going to do I was considering going down to the south of France and working on yachts a friend of mine from hospitality was like hey you'd be really good at it it's very different why don't you give it a go and I was considering that but I kind of thought I'm just going to end up slipping down the same route I've got an opportunity here so I, I just bit the bullet and I thought I'm gonna go go and go on a what was it a four or five month course down in Dartmoor um so moved down to Dartmoor little car and bags of outdoor kit learned how to go climbing learned how to go kayaking learned how to sort of navigate properly on Dartmoor you know and I would say it's a cliche, but you spend a winter on Dartmoor, like you toughen up in 
well as you know because you're down from that way but mm. you toughen up in many many ways you, you physically toughen up because it's you know the condi- weather conditions are brutal out there down there but also you become resilient and you the outdoors is really interesting for me because it brings out for me the very best of what being human is all about you know you have to think on your feet you have to problem solve you have to stay calm you have to kind of plan which has never been my as we know it's never been my strong point you have you have to have contingencies you have to have the right equipment you you can't take any unnecessary risks you know and all that kind of stuff enabled me to actually really start the real basic work on finding out a bit more about who I actually was Mm. and understanding my reasons why I'd made that decision which again was quite a big turning point for me Mm. you know I'll I'll add in there I still had I still had the addictive behaviors you know I wasn't taking drugs at that point I wasn't you know drinking so much but there were some other things going on that Mm. was still self-medicating because I didn't still didn't know who I was still didn't really realize what was going on with me as as a human as an individual but definitely things were moving in the right direction. You know, I was, mm. I'd shared it with my, my best man, my best mate, shared it with a few other people. My family knew what I was going through. So they were really supportive of me through this whole kind of process of, of a life switch into the outdoors, which was amazing mm. to have their, their support. And, you know, to know that they didn't think I was, you know, messed up or mm. this kind of stuff. You know, they, they just understood that I just had a blip and that I needed to change so the, the outdoors really facilitated that change for me and then obviously got my qualifications found a job at the company that we both used to work for mm. and it's, <laughs> it's quite funny because having you know I was on reasonable money back then in the hospitality industry you know but then I worked in the outdoors <laughs> and the money is really not very not very good compared to what I was used to but I was perfectly happy with that because I was actually loving what I was doing mm. And after a few weeks, they, they said to me, what do you want to do with the outdoor education? And I said, as you know, what, I'd really like to work with challenging kids because I wanted to give something back, you know, to, to the people. Because I considered that I'd had a very privileged upbringing and that there's a lot of people out there that didn't have any, any of the opportunities I had. And if I can facilitate one opportunity for them to have some fun in the outdoors and open their eyes to what the potential they've got, I'd love to do that. So they put me on a course with some challenging kids, and uh, I think after eight hours, I went back to head office and I said, "I, I don't want to work with challenging kids anymore." <laughs> but I really, I genuinely really struggled with it. I really struggled with it, and I think I'd probably do a better job now than I would have back then. And so it was much more of a case of just, I just want to get into the outdoors. I want to work with groups, children, adults, whoever they are, but just try and facilitate some positivity with people without being too sort of um, niche about who I was working with. Mm. and I got a lot out of working in the outdoors definitely and I guess if we, if, you know we're going to talk about business later on but mm. I probably learned from the hospitality and the outdoor education industry probably more about how not to manage people and how not to run a business than how to run a business mm. which kind of I guess it kind of one feeds into the other you know you learn from experience but we as you know we were worked to the bone mm. I can remember when we used to live together with a couple of other people sometimes on a Friday night we'd just be sat at home not hardly able to speak because mm. we're so tired and so stressed and 
nervous and then you know i was getting calls at two o'clock in the morning having to go back into work for x y or z for all the way through the summer it's just it's full on i loved it but it was full on um and that kind of you know that's that also starts to build up this resilience starts to build up a slightly different persona of myself that i started to become as well you know i, I can handle the late nights i can handle the mm. three hours a night sleep i can handle the sleeping out in the rain five nights on the bounce you know and all this kind of stuff which i could at the time and i really enjoyed it and i thrived on it and it mm. that then also started to feed into this okay you're kind of fitter stronger than you've ever been why don't you start trying to find some more sports to get back into because i wasn't really doing much sport at that point and so yeah that's when i think it was 2011 started mm. to take started kind of we went on that 30 mile run didn't we <laughs> one day we just decided right, wait, let's do a 30 mile run next week and the furthest mm. any of us had run was a half marathon at that point mm. and it was brutal on tarmac along a road really not very imaginative and it was brutal well that that sort of certainly for me that sparked a kind of a fire in my belly as kind of like oh hello sort of starting to get the same things I used to get from my school sports from the outdoor education world just sort of getting back into running which then led to triathlon and I did a few triathlons in 2011 I think it was and then yeah just sort of fell for triathlon I thought it was just an awesome sport you know I start. I mean, I was fit, healthy, reasonably quick, which is always good for me. You know, to get the benefit of all the work you're putting in to get results. So that was cool. And yeah, and I, I started to um, look down the kind of sport route. And at the time, I got made redundant from an outdoor education company that we used to work for, and I was a bit lost again. But the one thing I had this time round was I had sports which I hadn't had the previous times that I was lost. So, yeah, you get made redundant. It's not the nicest time. You know, you don't know what you're going to do. Because, again, I didn't have a plan. I didn't have a career path. It's just mm. kind of like, oh, I've done a bit of outdoor education. That was fun. Oh, shit. Like, I'm stuck. What's next? Mm. But I had sport. I had triathlon. And I had training. And I had mates. Yes, still drinking way more than I probably should have. But I, definitely, I was, you know, starting to realise that I didn't need, didn't need drugs at all anymore to, to mm. kind of um to be who I who I am and um yeah the sport that's where I really realized the value of sports because mm. it started to keep me honest started to keep me accountable you know because when you're redundant you don't have a job but I did have stuff to get up and do which is mm. get up and ride my bike or get up and go to the pool or get up and go to the um gym or whatever Mm. You know, and it, it gave me that drive that get up and go to keep myself fit keep my mind fit keep keep myself you know occupied because i could have very easily gone to the pub got smashed mm. someone offered me x y or z oh yeah all right why not and then suddenly about mm. square one is that do you I, like i've obviously seen this from you know the outside kind of you know we've we sort of lived together for a bit then i moved away but we've always kind of at least had an eye on what each other's doing and and the interesting thing I think on that that bit of your life is how you went from yeah like you say working unbelievably hard you know kind of putting everything into this job and then unfortunately it didn't work out you're kind of looking at what's next you'd done a couple of you know normal triathlons at that point and then you suddenly just went I'm going to do an Ironman <laughs> and that that the way I look at that is it 
I'm, and I might be just simplifying this, so tell me if I am, but like when you talk about these addictions and this like, you know, this ability to survive on three hours a night sleep and that sort of thing, you're, you're clearly, you have this ability to just solely focus on something and give it a lot, even if it's the wrong thing for you. And what's interesting, I think about an Iron Man, and I didn't know this until you did one and told me about it, is the amount of sacrifice you have to make. So you're, you know, you're cutting out booze, you're cutting out the, you know, all the delicious foods. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a sweeping <laughs> statement, but you're, and then you're cutting out all the the time, you know, that you would normally have to, to, you know, just yeah. just muck around. You've you've got to dedicate that because the training you have to do is insane, man. Like it's hours, so, isn't it? I, mean, I was I was lucky, you know. I, I had a nine to five job at the point where I signed up for my first Ironman two thousand signed up for it in two thousand and twelve, and I yeah raced in two thousand thirteen. And I had time, so it was nine to five, and I had um, my girlfriend at the time lived in Florence, so. I was in Oxford, so I had time to train, you know, before and after work, I would just go training. And I could commit 20, 24 hours a week to it. I stopped drinking, stopped going out, stopped all of this previous stuff that I would have done religiously, stopped it all. Mm. But like cold turkey. And about four, three months into my training for the for that first Ironman. So my mm. brother-in-law, Ross, has done three Ironmans at that point and it was kind of he kind of got my eyes on on Ironman because he's done three and he was always going how cool it was and and just and just make because because I know you live in this world and and you know Ironman's like yeah you, you know the back of your hand but for people that are listening that don't know what an Ironman is just explain the distances uh it's a 3.8 kilometer swim uh it's a 180 kilometer bike ride and then it's a full marathon so 42.2 kilometer run back to back no stopping in between so yeah it's, it's full on and so yeah i spoke to ross because he'd done three and i, I said to ross like is it normal to for every decision i'm making to be tied into ironman so you know i could be at work and someone said oh would, would you be able to do this for me on the weekend and I'm like, mm, how's that going to affect my training or you know I go down to the shop for some food right oh what's is this? how's that going to affect my training you know planning holidays with like my family getting together oh hang on a minute that's a training weekend like all this stuff and so I called up Russ and I was like is this normal he's like yes it's totally normal what you need to do is just go and have a normal weekend with your mates so I did on Saturday went out with some friends Saturday night I think we had went out on Saturday lunchtime for a boozy lunch and Sunday lunchtime sorry for boozy lunch as well and then it reset everything and I kind of like recalibrated myself and I was like okay cool so Ironman training yes you need to invest a lot of time sacrifice mm. etc but you need to be Ali who does Ironman rather than an Ironman who is also a bit of Ali do you see what I mean yeah so yeah. it becomes try not to make it all-encompassing and yeah. that again was a really strong lesson now for me going like the first the first Ironman was, a, was an amazing journey because again you find out so much about yourself while you're training mm-hmm. but particularly you know I talked about triathlon being a team sport but I didn't realize it was a team sport at this point because I got into it and I was doing all my training on my own and um yeah that it's weird because I fell into two categories so it's what first category of this is awesome how far can I go how fast can I go how what's my breaking point kind of thing which is it's quite interesting it's quite mm. a cool avenue to go down but then also at the same time I was still going through some 
you know, dark things personally. Mm. And this was escape. This was six hours, seven hours, eight hours on your bike, just thinking mm. or not thinking, pushing yourself That's as hard it, yeah. as you possibly can. You know, so there's a, there's, for me, there's definitely part of the sort of addictive personality coming, coming in through, through Ironman. And after the first one, I, I crossed that finish line on the first one. Like, unbelievable. Just, uh, mm. Apart from I got cramp as I crossed the finish line. But, <laughs> but it's amazing, like, an amazing experience. And, and everything you've put in, like the money you've put in, because it's not cheap, but the money you've put in, the kit you've bought, the training you've done, the sacrifices you've made, the, the day itself, the people you meet, is just mind-blowingly good. So I immediately got home and signed up for another one. <laughs> and I was hooked. And I did another one that year. The next year, did did again, did loads of little races, then did, did an Ironman this time in the UK. Absolutely loved it. It was a smaller, it wasn't an Ironman brand, but same distances, but a smaller race. Mm. I came first in my age group, uh, came fourth overall. Um, wow. Really, really like Cloud9, loved it. And then obviously the next year I signed up for another one. This time I signed up for a branded Ironman event. Mm. And it was one of, in my whole sporting career, it was probably the least enjoyable. In fact, I'll be honest, I hated it. Absolutely mm. hated it. And the reason being is because, because I was now coaching. So I had my own coaching business, triathlon coaching business. Mm. And I sort of, there's a theme here again, I had this expectation of what I had to be for people who were investing in me. Mm. So I had all this pressure that I thought was coming from externally, but it was coming from totally within me. Mm. I had this pressure of, you've got to perform, you've got to be fast, you've got to get it right, you've got to make no mistakes, you've got to, you know, you've just got to be perfect. And I, and I trained hard, I trained well, I was fast, but mentally I was broken, absolutely mm. broken. And the race was horrendous. You know, it was, you know, boiling hot, 38 degrees on the day, but <laughs> it was just hot. I, mean, I finished, I probably shouldn't have finished. I probably should have quit because I was injured and in the race and just didn't go to plan. But I did, you know, I'm definitely going to finish and 100% I've paid all this money. I've come all the way to, mm. to Zurich. I'm going to do it. But yeah, reflecting back, horrible i did it for all the wrong reasons and now from a coaching perspective is what that is one of the best experiences i could have gone through because mm. i can relate that to other people who are potentially putting too much pressure on themselves and, and re rewire them to find out their reasons why they're doing it i didn't know my mm. reasons why i was doing it i was doing it because it was the logical step almost like going to university that was the done thing you know that's that's my path go to university mm. or do another ironman and that was the last one i did 2015 and since then, <clears throat> obviously Snowden Six Ways, which we'll come to in a minute, but mm. done some endurance swim running, um, some lots of trail running, marathons. Um, yeah, but I don't think from that experience that I mean I haven't got time anyway, but I don't think I would go back to do another Ironman again. Mm. But do you think it's because it sounds to me like it's not that. It, you know the Iron Man event itself. Maybe you've built it up to be something in your head, but it it doesn't sound to me like it's about you know just doing another Iron Man. It sounds like you're you're saying that your relationship with with endurance sports had changed. So it kind of gone from the first one was you committing to something and being like, I bet I can do this if I put my mind to it. Job done. 
number two that was so much fun i'll do it again number three i'm now a professional coach and i have to i have to win this because i'm Basically, i'm the best yeah. at it. so it was like it, the second it, one was the second one was like i was, was I, I can do it i'm gonna go faster and then the third one is i'm gonna go faster than that because i that's that's what i need to be seen to do mm. And that pressure that's kind of an unfair pressure on yourself, yeah. isn't it? And I was, you know, I remember like going into the race that morning, just thinking, oh, there's going to be like so many people tracking me because you get this tracking number and all that. It's just yeah, it's horrible. Um, mm. But I mean, I, 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 I am anyone who wants to do an Ironman, go for it. It's one of the best experiences you can do if you do it for the right reasons. Mm. And if you understand your reasons, it's going to be an awesome experience. If you don't, you might have an experience like mine, my third mm. one. You know. I, I think endurance sports are, are brilliant for, for people, no matter who you are. I, I would say that anybody could do an Ironman, but they have to want it and believe they can do it mm. to, in order to complete it. You've got to want yeah, it, yeah. and you've got to be able to make the sacrifices to get yourself over that finish line or get yourself to the start line. That's the hardest bit. The racing should be the easy bit once you've done all, all the training. <laughs> I mean, I could never see it as something that would be easy, but yeah. Um, but then, so then you're, you're kind of, you know, you've got the, I think one of the good things about Ironman is that it's, you know, it's a set thing. People do it. It's the, the route is decided for you. You know, it's, it's kind of everything is taken care of. And then you went on to do other things and which eventually brought you to starting to think about your own challenges, which is, is, you know, the, the point of this podcast really, which is, the Snowden six ways that I was I was very fortunate to be a very small part of. But what um what prompted that? Why did that become a thing you decided to do? So and tw- actually, two, just for, before yeah. that, tell me what it. T- let's just explain what the Snowden six ways is. Just in case so the Snowden six ways challenge is a unique challenge that I created, came up with in my own mind. Um, there's six main routes up and down Snowden. There are more, but the six kind of relatively safe routes up and down Snowden. So my plan was to run each one back to back rather than go up and down the same route we'd go up over the mountain down a route turn around come back up and then down a different one until you've done them all and finished back where you started so it's uh what is it 78 just over 78 kilometers 5,500 meters i think off the top of my head of of uh climbing so it's taller than mont blanc in total um and the aim was to do it in one day as quickly as possible um and it was in 2016 um when me and my wife were expecting our first child and she'd mm. gone off to portugal for a sort of a pre-baby holiday with a friend but i was kind of working you know i had you know, had time i got home one evening after work on a tuesday evening and i thought oh, what am i going to do tomorrow i've got a bit of a clear day tomorrow i just randomly thought i'm just going to try get, get up at three o'clock in the morning drive to snowden see if i can run up and down it and so I got a map out and I saw the Watkin path looked a bit tricky. So I Googled it and it's like, yeah, that's the one of the harder ones. And I thought, great, I'll do that. <laughs> and I turned up, I ran up and down it, came came down and my my brain and my eyes were just like, wow, what <laughs> what why haven't I done this before? I spent loads of times in the mountain, but always like hiking or climbing. Mm. And it's suddenly like, oh my God, this is amazing. Why why have I not done this before? This is this is unreal. And immediately I was hooked. And so I went back up a couple more times before my son was born, Brody was born, just to do a couple more routes running. And then I remember one one evening just thinking, I wonder, wonder where the 
anyone's ever done the Snowden six ways is, is in run up and down all six routes one after the other. No, couldn't find any trace of it online anywhere on various groups or books or anything. Um, and so that was it. It was kind of that was the itch. And the itch was there for well four years, five years basically. Mm. There's been times when I planned to do it but haven't been able to do it for various reasons, injuries, having kids, business, etc. But, yeah, I mean, this year was the year that it was kind of decided that it would be the right year to have a go. And this was way before lockdown um, came mm. into play, you know. So Christmas last year, and I, I mentioned earlier about Christmas is always a big family time for, you know, mm. not just my wife and kids, but for my, you know, my, my siblings and my parents. But last Christmas, I was, oh, man, it's horrible. I was working too much, um, had lots of work projects on that I was stressed about, not sleeping. My my youngest wasn't sleeping very well. To back to sleeping two or three or four hours a night, broken sleep, drinking too, way too much again because you've got all the Christmas parties, mm. thinking I could handle it. Got home, back to my parents for Christmas. Um, yeah, cut a long story short. Um, I had a massive argument with my brother, which was totally my fault, never happens. But that was my trigger, just to unleash, because I had so much pent-up stress and aggression and fear inside me that I just kind of lost the plot. And um, then... Why why fear? What were you scared of? Just trying to, you know, because I've done some therapy. I've been to see a therapist quite you know for quite some time one of the things I know now is not to bottle up feelings and not bottle Mm. things up and push them down because that's when bad things happen and that was exactly what I was doing and I knew Mm. that I was something was going to trigger me and I was just going to explode and that was my trigger that you know and it was really unfortunate that it happened at home but you can't turn back the clock and change it I could I would Mm. but I then remember coming home back to our house and literally jumping in the car and nipping out to the garage to go and get something and I jumped in the car and as I was driving out of the village I just started sobbing in the car for no reason mm. not that I could put my hand on and I got to the garage and I just sat in the car just just literally crying and it was awful you know I suddenly thought Jesus what, what? I've got a beautiful family I've got a house mm. I've got a job I've got a successful business launching another business like why do I feel like this and I just felt empty I felt hollow and just numb and it was it was absolutely horrendous and so on new year's eve obviously i I came home you know me and my wife had a really big chat and on new year's eve it was just the two of us and annie actually said she said oh that's snowden six ways that you've always talked about just do it (laughs) just just do it like you need to do it you need to do something to get yourself to pick yourself back up because at that point again you know the common theme i wasn't training i wasn't you know i I'd started kickboxing again, but I wasn't doing that and just wasn't doing anything. It was just drinking and working and trying to be a dad and just wasn't doing any of it very well. Mm. And so that was it. The Snowden Six Ways was kind of born. I got got a team together, started training, got myself in really good shape through January and February. I was back in the gym. I was working with a PT, you know, doing strength and conditioning. I was running again properly. Back out on the trails around Oxfordshire, where I live on the Ridge Range. Suddenly, yes, loving it. This is great. Snowden Six Ways. Obviously, I've never done done it before, so there's that fear. Similar when you sign up for your first Ironman, you've never done mm. it, so you don't know you can do it, but you're quietly confident. But also, well, I might not be able to. Yeah. And that was really cool. And 
and then yeah then lockdown happened mm. and lockdown was when it first happened it was it was dangerous it was really nice weather it was warm barbecues mm. beers not much mm. work on looking after the family and the kids spending time at home which is great relaxing awesome but again started drinking too regularly too often but I was still running which was good and it was at this point I kind of thought okay I need something to get my training or to get me refocused mm. what is it that I can do to refocus myself for the Snowden Six Ways and at the same time as I've, as I've mentioned we were launching the Evolve Wellbeing Group which is a corporate wellbeing consultancy mm. and through that we do a bit of work with um, Mind and in particular Mind Oxfordshire mm-hmm. and so I thought okay let's um why don't I just do it it's a really good opportunity to raise some money for Mind Oxfordshire you know for for my business and for me personally and for them so mm. kind of a win 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 all round so I called them and they were sort of sort of they said what are you doing <laughs> what, <laughs> what exactly are you doing so I told them and they said yeah yeah well you know set up your just giving page and, and get going so I did and set a target of six thousand pounds you know we both know a few people that have used Oxfordshire Mind to to help them um they're a brilliant local charity to me and I now know the team reasonably well they're, they're just amazing people and yeah so that that really kind of got me interested or sort of um engaged in it again and mm. I started properly training again so I was creating really good habits I was creating really good um you know weeks of training and looking after myself eating right not drinking you know being really sensible and loving it mm. and not just mm. being like I need to be sensible for a bit I was like this is way better this is this mm. is what it feels like to actually kind of be alive mm. but at the same time I know we spoke about this at the time this um story about Milo came out and Milo was a guy that used to work with both of us at the outdoor education company but he'd gone missing uh, no one knew where he was and then um yeah they found found a body basically and Milo was taking his own life at the age of 20 uh 27 28 years old uh which was brutal and he was working for a local company near me in Oxfordshire um and it was just one of those things with all the bad shit essentially that was going on with lockdown and covid to then hear that that he'd done it just before lockdown um was awful and I, I was aware of it but it, I hadn't sort of teed it into the Snowden Six Ways at all and it was actually his sister Alice who you know I know reasonably well and I think you do as well she contacted me she reached out and said because she got wind of what I was doing for Oxfordshire Mind and she said would you mind running for Milo and creating some real positivity from a pretty horrendous scenario mm. and I was like yeah definitely I would love I would love that you know mm. for such a horrible thing to be able to represent positivity and raise money and know that the money raised is going to help prevent people in the same scenario as Milo from you know doing potentially the same thing to themselves was um, an amazing opportunity and I'm I'm genuinely honoured that I got given presented the opportunity to do that Um, because suicide it's just horrendous I don't know what, what other words you can put to it. You know, I've I've heard of more people 
you know, within my network, you know, that have taken their own lives this year. Um, the stats are not good, you know, particularly with men, particularly men our age, you know, 30s to 40s. Um, it's pretty prevalent. And it was at that point, it was like, right, with the Snowden Six Ways, whatever we do, if it helps one person make a better decision or a more educated decision or question themselves about their thought process or their mindfulness or their fitness or get someone outside when they've been in the same room for five, six, seven weeks looking at the same walls and the same screen, then it's only a good thing to do. And it, out of all the triathlons, swim runnings, marathons, trail running events I've done, I never had the passion that I did for the Snowden Six Ways. Six ways. Mm because there was so much more to it now, you know, like I've, I've told you my story, you know, it was amazing for me to represent mental health um, and to be at peace with my own story and my own struggles. It was amazing to hear messages from friends and family members who, you know, I'm, I've got 18 cousins and I have messages from, different countries all over the world of people just going what you're doing is amazing and it's really helping this person or that person or me or whatever and yeah genuinely touched by by that and to think that the snow six ways was something that i was just going to go and do with you know myself and a couple of other guys mm -hmm. and just go and do it and have a jolly get it done see how fast we can do it okay cool let's have a few beers come home great that would have been epic it would have been brilliant but wow, and what an experience it was. It was just, mm. it was epic on so many levels. Um, you know, I, I think I found the challenge, the actual event. So the 24 hours of, what, 18 hours of doing the, the challenge mm. was the easiest bit but by mm. far. It was amazing. The fundraising was tough. The promotion was tough. You know, talking about mental health, talking about suicide quite regularly was pretty awkward, pretty emotional, emotionally draining, you know, plus with what we're doing on our well-being consultancy, you're confronting mm -hmm. scenarios like this quite often. And I remember one week I got to Friday and I was supposed to be having a, during lockdown, having a lad Zoom kind of evening on Friday night and mm -hmm. literally after 10 minutes, I just had to tap out. I said to the guys, I'm really sorry, I've just had a tough week and just need to mm. be at home with my wife and zone out because Gosh. it's full quite on. a change. Yeah, that's quite a change there, man, as well. Like if you, you know, go back when you were talking about 10, 15 years ago, always wanting to be the popular guy and be Ali, you know, up for a laugh kind of thing to then have that strength of 10 minutes into a Zoom because there's that pressure as well with those Zooms, isn't there, where you're like, you know, we're all here for each other. Let's stay on for two hours kind of thing. But to just cut it short 10 minutes, that's that's... A big step isn't it mm. but it's um yeah I, I, the, the thing that stands out this year is i've learned more more about myself this year than ever before i i know myself mm. a lot better i understand myself a lot better i understand my reasons why i do things now much more um and the snowden six ways was a real facilitator for that you know i, I genuinely loved every single step of that challenge you know, I was on, on the mountain for 18 hours, 18 and a bit hours. And at no point did I hate it. At no point did I go dark. Mm. At no point, you know, I warned all of you guys that there's going to be a point where I'm going to turn into a princess mm. or I'm going to be 
snappy or I'm going to not talk to anyone. And that didn't just didn't happen. It didn't come. And, you know, I had a great nutrition plan with James and everything just came together perfectly. And mm. I firmly believe it was because of the tribe, the group, the team that we had together. I think it was the support from the public and friends and family. Mm. Like there was a WhatsApp group of 90 people or so following my progress and that they'd voluntarily mm. signed up for. And I'm like, really? Like who, who actually wants to follow this and voluntarily mm. sign up for, you know, WhatsApp messages? But they did. And that was amazing. Absolutely amazing that people were taking that much interest. And then obviously the financial side of it, you know, over £22,000 I raised for Oxygen Mind, which... Mm. Every time I say that, um, I get goosebumps and I just think, what? <laughs> like, where, how did that happen? Is it, have, have I read it right? Is it, you know, 240 quid, but it's not. <laughs> it's, were they uh, surprised? Because they were expecting six at best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they were expecting six. I, I, um, between me and my wife, I was going to go for three. Then she said, no, go for six, thousand pounds a leg. I was thinking, oh, man, it's going to add a lot of pressure. Mm. And then suddenly, like, four months five months in six months in we hit six grand and then milo's old business got wind of it and they they wanted to 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 put in a very big very generous amount so they put in um uh ten thousand pounds occupy medica that was just amazing awesome um i've never cried to strangers on zoom before but i have now (laughs) um and then yeah on when i switched my phone on after the challenge like the amount of messages and emails and notifications about the sponsorship and the good luck and the, mm. how you're getting on and this kind of stuff. I didn't, I could not read them all. I kept, I, and I'm sorry for everybody that I didn't get back to you because it was just too many. It's too many. And, and while while we're here, thank you for everybody that did donate and support mm. and you know follow and show interest because oh, it's just it, that meant or me and it still means so much to me it means so much to everybody that was there the crew everybody on the crew was going on their own little journeys with it and it's just the best experience i've I've ever had and i don't know whether we can trump trump that again who knows um mm. we'll, we'll give it a go but i'm sure um have you got another thing lined up for... so i'm actually going to go back to do the snow in six ways again in june um but this is very different it's purely for me to see how fast i can go this time now i've done it nice. like it's like iron man 2 yeah. <laughs> now i've done it i want to go back <laughs> and do it faster and and set a fastest known time or or, or better the fastest known time that's, that's currently there for it um so that's 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 that one obviously we've got another child coming this year or anytime this now. week this week yeah <laughs> so that's gonna um that's gonna be interesting and you know that's you know family is priority isn't it Mm. Um, so that's i'm really excited to play that so i can't commit to anything too big at the moment but i'm sure over the next four to five years there'll be some some other big things coming up and it's just i I know we need to wrap up so it's it's really interesting hearing your perspective on this is you said then you know this year i've learned why i understand why i do these things why i make the decisions i make what do you mean by that why why did you why do you do these challenges why do you put yourself through 49 miles of running <laughs> so the, the weird thing is like, I, I would have done it anyway regardless mm. of the sponsorship regardless of if all of you guys had turned around to me and go no I'm not going to come and support you I would have gone and done it anyway because I like I, I like I like the mountains I love running like running for me and not on the road I, I, I'm not a road runner and you know mm. that's no disrespect to anyone that loves road running 
but for me as a human being running is you know i mentioned about seeing a therapist i saw a therapist for every week for three years or so um but now running is my therapy <clears throat> because it gives me freedom it gives me clarity it gives me peace it gives me fitness it gives me health it gives me gratitude it gives me all of these things that make me a much better version of myself mm. and so when you ask me the question about understanding my reasons why i'm doing everything you know ultimately you know the, the, the idea of the snowden six ways was for myself it was for me it was to, to do something epic that would bring the very best out in me as a person mm. and so everything that's come from that as well the money the fundraising the you know the um, profile of mental health and suicide and the connections that we've made and, and the opportunities because Snowden Six Ways is is is, is staying alive. It's been, we've mm. gifted it to Oxfordshire Mind, and I'm kind of consulting with them on it moving forwards with Dan, another guy that was on it. And um, yeah, but for me, it kind of I, I know why I do things now. I know who I am as a person. I know mm. my triggers. I know what makes me happy. I know what doesn't make me happy. I know what I need to do, and I know what I don't need to do anymore. And I've definitely found peace with myself, mm. um, certainly this year, and probably just sort of as a process over the last sort of four or five years. And, you know, a lot of that is down to my wife. You know, mm. she understands me better than everybody else. She understands me better than I understand myself, I'm sure. And <laughs> she'll quite often be the one that says, yeah, you probably want to go out for a run today. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. um, and... Yeah, so I, I, I just, I, it's hard to kind of put the right words together, but I know who I am on a much mm. deeper level now. I know what's important to me and what's not. And I also know now that through my story, and it's not, you know, mine's not a unique story by any stretch, but because of the experience of what I've been through and the really low, dark, lonely places that I've got myself to, mm. anything that I can do, such as this podcast, such as the Snowden Six Ways Challenge, such as my businesses, anything mm. I can do to help someone become a better version of themselves is a good thing to do. And if that means me opening up my story, being as honest as I can possibly be, and say, you know, sometimes life is really shit, mm. but through all the crap, it's really good. It is, life is really, really good. And times when you 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 know you're facing some really bad stuff, you look hard enough. There's always positives to to come from it, you know. And that one thing that I'm I've learned this year is is the power of gratitude. You know, mm. I've always used it from from a sporting perspective. So you know, I've got one of my cousins was um, tragically hit by a drunk driver. Um, many many years ago and he spent his life you know in a home in a wheelchair not able to do anything for himself and i've used it in races before when i when i start hurting i've said to myself come on mate you're doing this now because there's people out there that would love to be doing what you're doing but they can't and that's really strong and you know now i'm doing that on a not not for an athletic gain or for a personal gain it's actually to i want to help other people become better versions mm -hmm. of themselves Mm. And this is the sort of ethos behind the, the well-being consultancy at work as well, because the, I know I'm I'm at my best when I look after myself. You know, mm. physically, I get enough sleep, I eat right. You know, 
look after myself, do all the right things. But when I don't, I'm not very good. And if we can get businesses to start thinking like that, businesses will start to thrive. People will start to thrive. You know, mm. it's not just being happy in the workplace, it's being happy at home. Mm. Wherever your home and workplace is, it's kind of blurred lines at the moment. But, you know, it's trying to create this kind of well-rounded organisation or organism that wants to thrive and wants to be positive, wants to be happy and wants to kind of, get, you know, get the best out of itself in a healthy way. Mm. It's interesting you, it's, you say that as well, because I, I feel grateful that, this movement you know you're a very big part of in in what you do towards mental health being a thing you know it didn't exist you know in the way that it does well-being didn't exist sort of 10 years ago did it? it wasn't something we spoke about and you could have seen actually those points in your life maybe if there had been an opportunity where it was more normal to speak up and to share and to talk how differently that could have gone you know although it, it's led you to where you are now um, and what's been interesting from my perspective and I'm sure you you get you you understand this as well though is although you say that a lot of what you're doing is it's about bettering yourself I think just you doing that is what inspires other people to you know to pay attention to follow you to join the whatsapp group to you know to listen to this podcast it's, it's interesting when I don't know it's I find it quite you know quite motivating to hear you, you talk like that because know it's, it's, it's focus isn't it in clarity um mate that was amazing um i want to kind of properly wrap up now because i know you told me to keep this at 45 minutes but <laughs> I, I feel like i feel like i could just talk you know until until yeah. bedtime um <laughs> but what in from your perspective so now you're, you've you've gone on this journey yourself you've kind of you're, you're at peace now with with your own sort of demons and you're you're using that and those learnings to to help businesses and to help people to you know to to as you say better themselves or at least to come to terms with their own kind of mental stresses and you know it's, it's easy to say you know these are the things you need to do form good habits be grateful all those sorts of things but it's you know for, from my perspective it's kind of small steps isn't it to get that journey going what would you say to people that are listening and, and the kind of you know particularly in this bloody never-ending lockdown that we find ourselves in <laughs> what would you what would you recommend as a way of just just bettering mental health by you know one percent not not a hundred percent the first thing is to get outside whether that's walking running cycling whatever you know i heard someone the other day talk on a on a webinar that you know ever ever since the day she's been working from home what, what she's done is she's at 8.30 when she would normally leave the house. She would leave the house and she'd walk around the block and walk to work, which was back to her house, but it gave her that kind of, that mental start and stop for work because at the moment there's such blurred lines with if you are working from home, there's when's work time and when's it not. But you've got to try and set up some sort of a routine. If you can get outside before that, you know, in the first thing in the morning, if you have that ability or facility to do that, definitely do it because even if it's five minutes of being outside, the fresh air, the clarity, the if it's raining, the rain, rain's been battered by the rain is invigorating. I try and tell mm. a lot of people this, and some people don't agree with me, but I think it's absolutely invigorating. It makes you feel human. So yeah, getting outside, having the ability to say no is also really important. If you feel like you're having too much screen time and someone's saying, oh, I need another meeting, just try and say no. Reschedule mm. it. There's not much that can't wait till tomorrow. 
or the next day you know there's not mm. actually there's not that much that's so important that it has to be done right now and it's again i've struggled with that previously you know you build up all this i need to do this now otherwise it's never going to get done just some things you can just park and just give you you are your number mm. one priority and if you can recognize that it's all becoming a bit a bit much take a step away get outside mm. put a friend you know you, you don't have to be in crisis but if you don't do those things you will end up in crisis mm. you know so it's the little things the, the just taking five minutes ten minutes keeping exercising get your heart rate up whether that's doing bicep curls with a baked bean can or going for a half an hour run that doesn't matter but it's doing something to better yourself sort of physically to allow you the space to then process stuff mentally mm. mate that's amazing thank you so much for sharing that oh. hope i did a good job of yeah your podcast <laughs> thanks mate. no i really appreciate it and it's um yeah you know i've always come on to this year of being if i can help you know anybody by sharing my story and inspiring people to get outside and keep active and keep moving and then, then it's only a good thing so i'd massively appreciate you sitting in sitting in the hot seat and doing this for me it's, it's been really really cool good stuff man right, yeah. well i look forward to listening to it back <laughs> <laughs> well uh, thanks buddy and thank you everybody for tuning in uh tuning in again we've got a couple more podcasts coming up um before christmas um but yeah please keep uh keep liking keep sharing keep uh keep talking and above all keep running and uh, yeah, we'll be back soon. Cheers, everyone.